You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned afterward for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Hi, everybody. So great to be here with you today at Mosaic Church. My name is Morgan. We're going to continue on today, as you can see from the video, in our series called One Another. And you're about to hear from someone really incredible coming up in just a moment. Her name is Dr. Rosalind Smith, and she is the Director of Adult Education here at Mosaic. She oversees our grow classes, our equipping courses, and does such a tremendous job. She and her husband, Brad, have a tremendous family. They've been members here at Mosaic for a number of years. They love Jesus. They love you. And I can't wait for you to hear from her right now. So here she is, Dr. Rosalind Smith. Thank you, Pastor Morgan, for that introduction, and thank you for this opportunity. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for every listening ear. Please open our hearts to receive your word and make us better as a people. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you, my King and my Redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome. Welcome everyone to Mosaic. We're so glad that you are here with us today. We are in a new series where we are looking at how to fill in the blank with one another. That is, we're looking at what word? What word goes right before the amazing two-word phrase that we see over and over again in the Christian scriptures? The word one another. In week one, we looked at how we love one another. In week two, we take a look at how we bear one another's burdens. And so now, week three, to set up one of my, my favorite ones, one of my favorite one another's, I'd like to begin like this. See, about two years ago, two white men and their families came to my house for the Mosaic community group that my husband and I host. Pastor Brett invited them, and any friend of Pastor Brett is a friend of mine. That week... Our nation had endured yet another tragic murder of an unarmed black man in our country, and I was mad. I was sad. I was hurt. I had all the feelings. I was trying to be the, the best possible, hospitable person because that's what good Christians do, right? Well, it came time for discussion, and I could no longer hold it in, and I shared my pain. I shared my pain not just as a black woman with a husband and a young son that could fit the profile of any one of those unarmed black men, but I shared my pain as a Christian, a Christian who had had enough of both police brutality and injustice. My pain was nearly explosive. I mean, my stomach was in knots, my blood was boiling, and angry tears just kept coming down my face. I let it all out right there in my living room in front of my community group and these two new families. Well, after community group that night, Pastor Brett brought those two white men to introduce them to me. And unbeknownst to me, they were two police officers. I felt frustration. I felt felt betrayal, pain, a whole flurry of emotions that I can't even really put into words. Now, I'm going to come back to this really tough moment, and I'll tell you what happened next. But before I do, I want to kind of leave you, leave you hanging right there in the tension, because I believe that this is the type of tension that the authors of Proverbs 
had experienced or had witnessed at some point. Today, I'll attribute that authorship to King Solomon. You can fact check me in heaven. See, any, anyone who can write this many wise instructions for living life, how, how to speak, how, how, when to speak, what not to speak, worker ethics, how to be successful, how to maintain relationships, how to relate to people, how to maintain healthy relationships. You can best believe that they've experienced some type of tension. They've had adversity somewhere in their life. They've experienced situations in their lifetime. Take this first instruction listed in Proverbs 27, for instance. He says, don't boast about tomorrow because you don't know what today will bring forth. It sounds like King Solomon's lived through a pandemic. You know, like, don't boast about your vacation tomorrow because you don't know how the pandemic is going to have your flights canceled. He gives us this compilation of instructions for living life. He says, here's a heads up. Wrath is cruel and anger is torrent, but neither one of them can hold a candle to jealousy. Listen, only someone who has took had to handle jealousy firsthand, can tell you that. In verse 5, he says he knows that open rebuke is better than love concealed. And then this one, from the sound of it, in verse 15, see, King Solomon has dealt with a contentious woman or two. He tells us that the continuous dripping on a very rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. Now, you may not be wrong, but watch it, King Solomon. You see, King Solomon, he understands tension. He's experienced how people relate to one another in some strenuous situations. He knows the conundrums of opposing sides. So to keep us from making some of those same mistakes that he's made or that he's observed in relationships, he gives us these carefully crafted instructions. And I believe that this one in particular can help us in how we relate to one another. He says this in Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, one person sharpens another. What does this mean, King Solomon? I mean, to make such a profound drop mic statement, there has to be some lifelong benefit to us sharpening one another. There's obviously wisdom in this verse. And Today, in order to understand that wisdom, I want to walk us through three questions. First, what good will come of sharpening one another? Second, what gets in the way of us sharpening one another? And then third, how do we get the power to sharpen one another? See, I believe that answering these questions will help us to practically walk out this sharpening instruction that God has given King Solomon to record for us. Let's begin. What good will come of sharpening one another? First off, what is this whole analogy about? What does it mean for iron to sharpen iron? Well, in the Iron Age, tools and swords were in constant use. And through overuse or damage or neglect, um, they, they came to be in a state of disrepair or just unusable. So that is something that was created, made to be productive and useful, to plow the earth or to defend a community. 
it was no longer able to do what it was designed to do until it was sharpened by coming into intentional, consistent, and productive conflict with another piece of iron. The verse is saying the same thing about us. It's saying in our relationships, like conflict, even though painful, if we will stay steady and true to the process, the process won't destroy us. But intentional, consistent, and productive conflict aimed at making both sides better can make us more useful to each other and the world around us. The problem is, it's not easy. I mean, it, it never has been. It's not easy for the best among us. It wasn't easy for the, the early Christians. Let's take a look at a case study, for example, for, of a tough moment in the life of the early church that shows us what iron sharpening iron looks like in action. Acts 15:39. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul, he chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Deserting, disagreement, separation, conflict, tension. It sounds like what was going on in my living room with those police officers that night. I mean, what happened between Paul and Mark to cause this type of problem? Well, we know from earlier in their story that Mark had abandoned Paul and their group in the middle of one of their missionary journeys. Now, Barnabas, the peacemaker, he wanted them to basically just kiss and make up. Like, come on, Paul, just like let it go. But the memory of the betrayal was too much for Paul. And so instead, on this next journey, Paul chose Silas. And they went their separate ways. Now, thankfully... Paul and Mark's story, it did not end there. Now, we may not always agree with one another, but we are each necessary for the work of the ministry. And Paul realized this about Mark. So later, he writes to Timothy, and he says, get Mark and bring him to me. Bring him with you. He is useful to me in the ministry. And that's in 2 Timothy 4.11. See, why? Why did he call for Mark? Well, that painful relationship had sharpened both of them, and it made both of them better. And there was work to be done in the ministry. See, now back to that story in my living room. Those police officers in my living room that night, they loved me the best they could in that moment. And then they came back, and I invited them back because they make me better. And there's work to be done in the ministry. Listen, their families, they make my family a whole lot better. And I pray that I do the same for them. It does not mean that we won't have hard conversations. We have. It does not mean we won't disagree. It does mean that as Christians, standing on the truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we will lean into the tension together. And we will use every single opportunity that we can to sharpen one another. See, the physics of sharpening, it requires both, both objects to exerting pressure on the opposing object. See, in the sharpening of iron with iron, both pieces change, the sharpener and the one being sharpened. 
in the same manner, our faith It's strengthened when we help and when we encourage one another, when we lean into the tension together, if you will. Proverbs 27, 6, it offers us another way of seeing this principle. It says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. I'd rather lean into the tension with my community Because if we lean into the tension with one another, it shows that we are faithful to one another. And faithfulness, let's be honest, faithfulness is hard to find these days. But the heart behind sharpening, it has to be love. If we only sharpen, but there's no love underneath, then we walk around stabbing each other. And that's not what this is about. It's not about stabbing each other. It's about sharpening one another. The goal isn't stabbing sharpening. And that helps us become better individually and it comes and be better collectively. Now, what gets in the way? What gets in the way of us sharpening one another? Let's take a look. Miss Fannie Lou Hamer, she is a, a national civil rights activist and really a hero of the civil rights movement. She initiated her work by advocating for black voting rights in Mississippi. It cost her her home, her job, and her health. At the age of 46, she was beaten mercilessly in a Mississippi prison. She had been arrested at a rest stop on her way home from Charleston, South Carolina, where she attended the Southern Leadership Conference. In Kay Mill's biography of Miss Fannie Lou Hamer, she writes this, Locked in her cell, Ms. Hamer had been wondering how Christian people could do to her what her jailers had done. She talked with the jailer's wife, who said she tried to live a Christian life. And I told her to read the 26th chapter of Proverbs and the 26th verse. Ms. Hamer said she'd take it down on a paper. And then I told her to read the 17th chapter of Acts, the 26th verse. And she's taken that down, but she never did come back after then. I don't know what happened. Miss Fannie Lou Hamer references two scriptures when reminiscing on her time in the Winona jail. And I think that they're, they're worth taking a look at. Proverbs 26, 26. Though his hatred is covered by deceit, his wickedness will be revealed before the assembly. And then she references one more. Acts 17, 26. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and their boundaries of their dwellings. Ms. Hamer's interaction with this jailer's wife points to exactly what gets in the way of us sharpening one another. It's the human heart. The human heart gets in the way of us sharpening one another. See, science tells us that the heart is essential to life. The heart pumps oxygen and nutrients to the cells in our body. The heart affects every single cell in our body. It's one of the most important organs in our body. But just as important, if not more, the Bible tells us that the heart is not just a pump, but the heart thinks. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. 
Proverbs 23, 7, or above all else, guard your heart because everything you do flows from it. Proverbs 4, 23. Mark 7, you have Jesus there telling the disciples that it's from the heart that sin spews out. How does the heart think? In the early 1990s, science, catching up to the Bible, found measurable scientific evidence regarding this concept of the heart thinking. Dr. Andrew Armour, the, uh, a neurocardiologist, found that the heart contains 40,000 neurons called sensory neurites. They have the capacity of remembering, discerning, and decision-making. See, our heart possesses the value system that drives our decision-making. The heart is our response mechanism. It causes us to love or not to love, to protect or to attack. Our heart helps dictate the truth of what's in us to the world around us. What other kind of anomalies are in the human heart that get in the way of us making one another better? Well, Proverbs 27 points to a few. In verse two, it says that it's our pride. Our ego gets in the way. Verse 12, he says, it's, it's actually spiritual blindness. Spiritual blindness can get in the way of us loving one another. In verse 22, he says, mm, some days it just looks like plain old folly. Foolishness gets in the way of us making one another better. Pride, blindness, folly, these things, they exist in the human heart. And at some point, they need to be cut away. They need to be sharpened off. Trying to live a Christian life like that jailer's wife, it's all fine and good. But at some point, there has to be a determination to stop just trying and to live a Christian life that is truly submitted with their whole heart to God. Now, submitting our hearts to God, that means that we are willing for our hearts to be circumcised, to be transformed, to be checked and rechecked by the Holy Spirit. Sometimes that looks like the Holy Spirit dealing with us personally to cut away those characteristics and those desires that are not like him. And other times that looks like being accountable to community and allowing our community to walk alongside us and lovingly call out those things that do not reflect the characteristics of God. So what do we need? In the end, we need our hearts changed. We need a heart more like Miss Fannie Lou Hamer's and a heart that's less like that jealous wife. We need hearts that have the pride, the blindness, the folly cut away because it's a changed heart that enables us to really love one another and in turn to sharpen one another. So how do we get it? How do we get this kind of changed heart? How can we get the power to sharpen one another? Not to stab one another, not to stick and move on one another, but to really sharpen one another. Well, here's one way, two steps. The steps are separate, but they're mutually inclusive. That means they gotta work together. The first step is practical. I believe Proverbs 27, 17, it embodies a cultural context that can help us with how to practically walk out this step. Cultural context, for example, 
my cultural context in part is I am living through a pandemic. I am simultaneously living through a time where there is a strong need for racial reconciliation and there's a constant fight for social justice. I live in a nation where just over 60 years ago, we were in the thick of a civil rights movement and we are still dismantling the effects of Jim Crow laws. I did not live in the Jim Crow era, but the stories, the residual effects, they still influence my interactions, my word choices, and my behaviors in relation to the environment around me. Likewise, King Solomon, he's writing to a group of people that have a particular cultural context. You see, just around 60 years ago, before writing this proverb, the people of Israel had to live through some questionable laws of their own. For example, to ensure a prompt and total victory over the Hebrews, the Philistines enacted a law forbidding the Hebrews from engaging in blacksmithing. They couldn't sharpen iron. Here's a look at that scripture. There were no blacksmiths in the land of Israel in those days. The Philistines wouldn't allow them for fear they would make swords and spears for the Hebrews. 1 Samuel 13, 19. Therefore, if the Israelites needed something sharpened, like a tool for farming, they had to pay a Philistine. Now, very obviously, the Philistines oppressed the Israelites with this law. But if you recall, when David was preparing to go up against the Goliath, the Philistine champion, God told David, I will give you victory without sword. See, I believe these are the stories that King Solomon grew up hearing. The townspeople, they're like David's hype men. They're like, oh, King Solomon, you should have saw your daddy. He didn't even have a sword. You know, they didn't let us have swords in those days. He, and he, he still defeated the Philistine army. That's what King Solomon's hearing. This is King Solomon's cultural context. The people remember a time when there were no blacksmiths because they were not allowed in Israel. This is a group of people that can remember or at least they've heard stories about when iron sharpening iron was not accessible to them. But now King David has left his son 4,000 tons of gold. That's $186 billion in gold by our standards. He left him 40,000 tons of silver. That's another $22 billion in silver. And he left him more bronze and more iron than they could even weigh. Can you imagine that, that amount of accessible of iron to sharpen in Israel when just some years ago that they, they had laws against even having blacksmiths? See, I believe that Solomon is saying to, to saying, do you see like how much iron is being sharpened in this land? Day in, day out, there's iron sharpening. It's all around you now. You can't escape iron sharpening. They can't even weigh how much iron I own. It's in abundance. That's how I need you to sharpen one another. Let your sharpening be in abundance. See, in this proverb, he's, 
instructing them, but he's also reminding them. You remember how the Philistines enacted that law that said you couldn't sharpen iron, but now, now you value our iron sharpening because you know how it feels to not have that privilege. That's how I need you to value sharpening your friends. Don't let anyone ever tell you that you cannot sharpen one another as iron sharpens iron. So one person sharpens another. Step one, treasure the opportunity to sharpen one another. Let your sharpening be in abundance, never ending. And maybe you're saying, I like to, but I'm just not sure if I can, Roz. Is there help available? Yes. So the first step was practical, but the second step, second and most important step, it's spiritual. Jesus lived this verse. He lived it by coming to earth to, a, to sharpen a very broken, a very dull humanity, only to be stabbed in return. I mean, iron stabbed him in his hands and iron stabbed him in his feet. Iron, a, a, a spear of iron stabbed him in his side. The stabbing that I deserved and you deserved, he took so that you and I could be liberated from the penalty of sin. The cross of Calvary. It's here at the intersection of the extreme hate of man and the extreme love of God that we find our sinless self, Savior making a way for our hearts to be transformed to his likeness. This moment in time, sometimes they call it the great exchange. He took my penalty, I get his righteousness. It's unfair, it doesn't make sense. The only explanation is love. Here, his righteousness is a gift. It's a gift free to you. It's a gift free to me. It cost his life. It cost his home and glory. It cost his humility on that cross but it's free to us. You just have to choose. You gotta choose to accept it or reject it. Now get this, the gift giving, it did not stop there because even though we receive righteousness or right standing with God, in ourselves, we are unable to keep it. We can't because of that heart problem that we talked about. So Jesus, he made a way for us to not just receive right standing, but to keep right standing by sending the Holy Spirit. Again, a gift free to you, but you have to choose. You got to choose to accept it or reject the Holy Spirit. Step two, here it is. Accept the gift of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Jesus saves us. He saves us from our sins and the Holy Spirit enables our hearts to be checked and rechecked. That's what actually empowers us to do step one. It's the Holy Spirit. It's, it's him that enables our, the transformation of our hearts. The prophet Ezekiel, he explains this exchange like this. He says that God will take our stony hearts and exchange them for a heart of flesh. But he won't stop there. Ezekiel says, then he'll put a, his, a new spirit in us, his spirit. And it's that transaction that enables us to sharpen one another. Today, maybe, maybe you feel like you, you're being stabbed. 
way more than you're being sharpened. And you find yourself becoming weak, maybe even resentful. There's strength for you, I promise. Or maybe you feel like you're at the other end of that and you have stabbed way more than you have sharpened. Those wounds, they kind of feel irreparable. There's sufficient grace for you. See, we find the answer for both extremes in one statement from Jesus to a man that was in a peculiar circumstance. He says, my grace is sufficient to you for my strength is made perfect in weakness. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Here's the brilliant part. When the Holy Spirit is at work in us, he is our sustainer when we are sharpened. He is our strength when we are stabbed. And he is sufficient grace when we do the stabbing. Allow him access. Allow him access to the inner places of your heart. And he'll be your sustainer. He'll be your strength. He'll be your sufficient grace. He'll be all that and more. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for this time, God, with your sons and daughters. Now seal your word in our hearts so that we may walk in unity, loving one another, bearing one another's burdens, and sharpening one another in love. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.